Okay, so who was right? There, well, <laughs> who was right, uh, Elijah or Tim? Uh, who was right, Paul or Jesus? Are we supposed to act like kids? Are we supposed to act like children? Or are we supposed to be like children? I'm confused. Because one says one, the other says the other. You know, it, it's things like this in the Bible that sometimes causes people to step back and say, okay, that's, the Bible contradicts itself. I think by the end of our study this morning, you'll realize it doesn't. At least not in this point, it doesn't. But it does require a little bit of extra thought. It causes us to pay a little bit more attention. What's he talking about? Childishness and acting like children and being like children. I know lots of times whenever I hear this discussion come up, this passage is read, it seems like most often somebody will make the comment about, well, we're supposed to be innocent like children. How many of you have had children? How many of you would describe them as innocent? Uh, Generally speaking, they're guilty. Okay, Uh, That just kind of goes with the territory. Uh, We've got uh, Nick Riojas, who is probably still at at the innocent stage, but trust me, guys, the the guilty stage is coming up. I I, I don't really think that's what he's talking about here. I think part of that may have to do with uh, the King James translation uh, where it translated, unless you become converted... And so we make the, the, the jump to salvation and sins being washed away. And we, we try to come up with this thing. Uh, okay, well, it's innocence. Uh, I don't think that's necessarily what he's talking about here. I don't think innocence is even a consideration. What does it mean to be a child of God? What does it mean to be a child of your parents? What does it mean to be a child of It's important because this story from Matthew is listed three times in the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record an instance like this. They may be the same instance, just different recollections. Uh, Personally, and and you form your own opinion, read the accounts, and I think the scenarios are kind of different in each one. I'm thinking... I'm thinking there were three different occasions. I think this is a point that Jesus will come back to frequently. Unless you become like a child. Unless you become like a child. There's something about a child that is appealing to the father. Did you catch that? There's something about a child that's appealing to the father. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. That's what we're going to be talking about. This relationship. A child to a father. A child to parents. That where, where we fit in. This is a terminology that will be used over and over and over in the New Testament, probably more uh, by anyone, uh, by um, John. In 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, he will use this term so many times, my little children, my little children, my little children. He's not talking about acting childish like, like we read in 1st Corinthians. He's talking about the relationship, the relationship that we have with the Father. How do children relate to their father? Do they act childish or do they act childlike? 
First, uh, at first uh, blush, we might think that what was read by Elijah and, and Tim are different, but actually they're both set in the same context of a little thing called humility. Humility. First Corinthians 13, if you start at the beginning of the chapter, you notice he's not, if, I, if I do all these great things, if I'm a fantastic person who really performs and I don't have love, it's meaningless. Where do you stand? Do you stand based upon your accomplishments or do you stand based upon your love? Where do children stand? They have no accomplishments, okay? They're just getting started. They have to stand on love. Uh, I, I mentioned the other accounts. Mark in chapter 10, verses 13 through 16 says what, uh, the, the context of this story is followed by the story of, of the man who comes to Jesus and says, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Okay, what accomplishments must I have? And Jesus calls him out on that. It's not what you have. It's not your accomplishments. In Luke chapter 18, the same uh, story, again, maybe at a, t- a different time. It's preceded by the prayer of the Pharisee and the tax gatherer. Remember, the Pharisee was the one who was proud that he wasn't like Tim. Sorry, Tim, I just had to pick you up. <laughs> I am so proud that I'm not like that other person. And he's elevating himself. And then the tax Tax gatherer who just beat his chest. Whoa, shouldn't. Hopefully he didn't have a microphone on when he did. Just beat his chest and said, God, forgive me, a sinner. Relationship. Relationship. The Greek word, and I've been working on this because it doesn't pronounce the way that it looks. Toponos. Toponos. Is humility. That's the Greek word. And actually, so many times in Greek, there's different, like for love or other, there's different terms, different. Humble, humility, all of these all center on that one word. It's that one concept. So, what does it mean to be humble? Always be humble and kind. I said that for my daughter, who is kind of a. Um, if, if, if a person is humble, oh, they're just, they're weak, you know. He's too humble to do that. Old person said, oh, no, no, you don't have to thank me. What does it mean to be humble? What does it mean to be humble to you? We all have our own definitions. Technically, the Greek term there is to make low or to be made low. Uh, you know, when I was little, I was always put in my place by my parents. They humbled me, Okay. Um, sometimes I do that on my own. I put myself in my place. I make myself low. It's not a negative term in the New Testament. In fact, the word humility is always used in a positive context in the New Testament. For what it's worth, being put in your place. That's kind of what we've been talking about during the month of May as far as 
spiritual gifts and things like that and, and finding out where you fit in this church, where you fit, at, fit in God's kingdom, where you fit. Let me tell you a story. Some of you all have already heard this and know this quite well, and some of you might be shocked to know that I have not always been the fine specimen of masculinity that you see before you right now. <clears throat> Sarcasm. Um, when I entered middle school, back then we called it uh, uh, junior high, seventh grade, I weighed 56 pounds, okay? That's if I was wet. 56 pounds, I was short, skinny, and I didn't know squat about sports. I had to learn. I was, obviously wasn't good. I wasn't going to be a, uh, an athlete. I don't think God intended me to be an athlete. But I wasn't all that smart about it. And this is, this is true confession. I, I, I got to tell you this. In my day, baseball was the sport, okay? We're good with that? <laughs> okay. Baseball was the sport. Football, eh, okay. Uh, soccer didn't even exist back in the 1950s. Uh, but it was baseball, and I always wanted to play baseball. But I didn't know anything about it. And I, w I was always, for multiple reasons, the last kid picked to be on the team when we split up to be teams. Okay. Um, to this, at that time, I'll put it this way, at that time I had a difficult time understanding some of the basic principles of location. Okay. I, I, I am a very literal person. And I, I was told that there was left field, center field, and right field. Center field I'm good with, because that's in the center of the field, okay? But if you stand on the home plate and say right field and left field, I can get that. Except when you go out there and you look back in at home plate, now right field, everybody is to the right of... <laughs> So wouldn't that be left field? Okay. Literal people have hard times with that. I honestly, sorry, for those of y'all who are baseball aficionados, I, I apologize. I, I was the guy that you didn't want on your team, and I literally had to ask, where do I stand? Tell me where I stand. And they would tell me, scoot up, scoot up. No, you know, go over there, go over there, go over there. To me, that's humility. To me, that's humility. I've always used that as my definition of humility. It wasn't a put down. It was somebody helping me find out where I was supposed to be. Help me find my place, because I don't know. Isn't that what children experience? in life. I want to find my place. In psychology, we talk about birth order. Every child that comes along is trying to find their place. Sometimes somebody has to help us find it. Sometimes they have to say, no, you're in right field. You need to go over to the left. You need to come in. You need to do this. Humility is something sometimes we need help with, and sometimes, uh, sometimes it's just hard to grasp. It's something that we lose, and I think this may be part of the problem 
the confusion that we have with childishness and childlike. Because as we grow older, we tend to have more difficulty with humility. We tend to look more towards our accomplishment. So, in my simple little mind, I have come up with an analogy for us to consider this morning. I'm going to try to keep this part of the lesson short. Children don't drive. Okay? Think about that for a little bit. Children don't drive. My next-door neighbor, my good friend, when he was 10 years old, got in the car, this is a long time ago, took it out of gear, drove it right into the neighbor's house. Generally speaking, children do not make good drivers. Children just don't drive. And you say, Dwight, that doesn't make any sense. Think about it for a little bit. Children don't drive. What does that mean? Well, first of all, where do the kids sit? In the back. They don't sit in the driver's seat. They don't sit in the driver's seat. Back in the 70s and 80s, there was a bumper sticker that you would see frequently. It said, God is my co-pilot. And I kind of appreciate the direction they were going with it, but my first thought was, well, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. (laughs) I would prefer he be my pilot, not my co-pilot. Humility, where do I belong? Tell me my place. I don't belong in the driver's seat. Did you get that? Did you get that? You don't belong in the driver's seat if you're a child of God. That's his business. What do drivers do? They determine the speed that we go at. They determine the turns that we make. They determine the stops that we make. They determine basically the essentials. Why is it that as we grow older, we want to figure all of these things out and determine all of these things ourselves? It's because we fail to heed the instruction of Jesus unless you change and become like a child. You're not going to get to see the kingdom of heaven. You won't get to enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to become like a child. And I think this is a key part of this. As understanding humility means that I am not in the driver's seat. I don't call the shots. I don't determine and I don't expect to be the driver. That's where I sit. I don't drive a vehicle. Because I'm a child. Okay, now that is an analogy. Now here's the real practical story. Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 2, beginning of the book, obviously, particularly in verse 8, but the whole beginning there talks about how Jesus Christ was equal to God. Same level. Okay. A father and a child are not equal, okay? By nature, they are not equal. As a child, I am not equal to God. The scripture says that Jesus lowered himself, became a man, 
lowered himself even further. He humbled himself and became a servant and died the death on the cross. He was the son. Do you get that relationship issues? Children are not equal to the parents. We see this most in Jesus Christ. I think sometimes we have a tendency to, again, this is one of those things that we have, it's hard for us to grasp because how in the world can God become man? Well, in case you didn't notice it, God created man so he can do pretty much anything he wants to, okay? But God became man in the form of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we overestimate what Jesus was able to do on his own. I say that because in John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said the Son can do nothing of himself. Later on in the same chapter, verse 30, he says, I do nothing on my own initiative. Yeah, but you're Jesus. You're God. You're supposed to have all the answers. You're supposed to know what to do. You're supposed to be able to have the words and say all of these things. And he says, I do, but they're not mine. They come from the Father because he's driving. Because he's driving. John 14, 10, again, he will say, The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. The Father in me. The Father, get the relationship. I don't originate the thoughts, Jesus says. They come from the Father. I don't speak my thoughts. They come from the Father. Jesus understood that relationship issue of, I am lower than the Father. I submit to the Father. I listen to the Father. I follow the Father, and he works through me. I know my place, he's saying. I know my purpose, I know my place, and it's here. And in John 3, 16, we, 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 we use John 3, 16, everybody quotes that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay. <clears throat> How often do we skip verse 17? For God did not send his son to judge the world, but to save the world. My position is not to judge. God's already going to, has done that and will continue to do that. My position is to do whatever I can to help save you. In just a minute, we're going to partake of the, what we call the Lord's Supper. And it was done on a night in which the, everyone in attendance except Jesus thought they were partaking of the Passover. And they were remembering how God, at that time they didn't refer to him as their father, they referred to him as God, saved them from Egyptian captivity. They would remember that their salvation came at the lowest point in their lives, they would remember that it was God who delivered them out of Egypt. And then Jesus would say in Luke, do this in remembrance of me. Why? 
because Jesus was doing exactly what the Passover was all about, delivering us. When you leave here today, hopefully you will take this ridiculous thought. I've always thought that ridiculous things are easier to remember than serious things because they don't make sense. They kind of stick in your mind. Have you ever had somebody say, don't think about a monkey, and then carry on a conversation, and for the rest of that conversation, you're saying, why can't I think about a monkey? Because, okay, hopefully this is a ridiculous enough thought that it will stick with you. Children don't drive. That is the message today. Children don't drive. Think about where kids sit. Think about who drives the vehicle. Think, think about who determines the destination, how fast, when we make a turn, when we stop, who prepares the vehicle, who does all of the work. It's the driver, and we are not the driver, okay? But here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. Who gets to enjoy the scenery? Who gets to enjoy the scenery the most? Uh, this past week, we attended a funeral. Uh, Sarah and Jeremy and Aiden and I attended a funeral uh, down in Dallas. And I don't, Jeremy, Jeremy got to drive, okay? Now, in, in my household, that's a, that's a big thing because I don't let anybody drive. I always do the driving. Uh, so that was a, quite an honor for you to get, and it wasn't the whole trip. It was just a little snippet, but uh, he got to drive. And I was thinking about the lesson as he was driving. And you know what? I would watch the scenery. I didn't have to watch the road. He had to pay attention to the road because we were making turns and speed and the Texas drivers and all those kind of things. Uh, I got to enjoy the scenery. I think that's a key part of all of this. I think that's why some of you, some of us, are so miserable. It's because you're trying to drive the car, and you're not sitting in the passenger seat enjoying the scenery. We've got a video, it's about a four-minute video. I want you to pay close attention to the story that Lisa Tykehurst tells. Last spring, my daughter and I were outside and we noticed lots of caterpillars crawling about. She became very enamored with these caterpillars. So she ran inside, got a little plastic container, went back outside, filled it up with leaves and a little bit of water, and then captured some of these beautiful little caterpillars and put them in her container. She looked at me and she said, Mommy, they just have to come home with us. So we walked inside the house, put them in a place of prominence right on the dining room table. These little caterpillars, we gave them a loving home. Or you could say we were holding them hostage. Either way, my daughter was so excited. Every day, Brooke would go and look inside the little container and there the caterpillars were and they seemed to be just fine. But after a few days, you know how little kids are, they lose interest and she forgot about the caterpillars. Until one day when I walked by the dining room table and I was shocked to see that the caterpillars had formed little cocoons inside the plastic container. So I called Brooke downstairs and we looked inside and we were so excited at this miraculous 
thing that was happening with our caterpillars. Well, a few days more passed and I was sitting at my kitchen table doing some emails and all of a sudden I got an email in that caused great disappointment in my life. I decided to walk away from my computer and as I was walking through the house, out of the corner of my eye, I remembered the caterpillars, went over, glanced inside the container and amazingly the cocoons had burst open and there were little things with wings inside. Well, I didn't look that closely at that moment. I just called Brooke downstairs. I was so excited. We grabbed the container up. We walked outside. We lifted open the lid and I expected to see beautiful butterflies. Instead, all I saw were moths. And I thought, isn't this just the way my day is going? Disappointment in an email and now disappointment because our caterpillars didn't turn into butterflies, they turned into moths. Well, Brooke didn't look at it that way at all. She was so amazed that these little creatures that had once only known the dust of the ground had gone into a plastic container, formed a cocoon, and then turned into winged creatures that would no longer crawl on the dust of the earth, but would take flight. She didn't see caterpillars or butterflies or moths. She saw a miracle. She was so thankful at what was right in front of her. I was still a little caught up and instead of seeing the beauty of what we did have, the disappointment of what we didn't have, we didn't have butterflies. And I guess my heart was really set on butterflies. But instead, Brooke picked up these delicate little winged creatures and held them up and waited until the wind was just right. And then she threw her hands up and these beautiful creatures, these little moths, just took flight. And Brooke clapped her hands and spun around and looked at me and said, Mommy, isn't that miraculous? You know, I was really challenged that day. I was challenged because I saw how dangerous it is that we sometimes miss the miraculous of all that we've been blessed with because we're so focused on the one thing we don't have that we become disillusioned with all that we do have. Brooke wasn't disillusioned that day. She was absolutely enchanted by the beauty of what was in front of her. I, on the other hand, was challenged. My heart wasn't quite there. Sometimes I think as a woman, it's easy to become so focused on the one thing we don't have that we lose sight of the blessings of all that we do have. Are there any miracles in your life? The answer to that is yes. The second question is, are you seeing them? Are you seeing them? Or are you missing them? Miracles come in the form of moths and butterflies. Miracles are surrounding us. God is at work every bit as much today as he ever was. God is every bit as successful today as he ever was. God is ever bit the God that he ever was, and we are still his children. But sometimes we try to get in the driver's seat and say, no, this is what, we're going this way, we're going to do this way, and we fight and we struggle and we miss. Where's your joy? Is your joy in the Lord? Is your joy in the wonders of God's work or in the fulfillment of your own 
expectations. Well, this is what's supposed to happen. This is what's supposed to happen. This is, this is the way it's supposed to be. This is the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't always work out the way we want it. And I think the loving father said there's a reason we didn't take that turn. Look and see what lies ahead. Enjoy the journey. Like I said, one of the great things about not being the driver is I get to enjoy the scenery. I can look around and I can forget what lies ahead and maybe look at the past, but primarily enjoy the day. There was a wise man who stands up here every once in a while and says, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Okay, you recognize that? That's being childlike. Children live in the minute. They don't worry about everything that's going to happen in the future or everything that they're guilty of in, in, in the past. They live in the minute. John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Would you describe your life as abundant? You don't have to answer out loud. Nobody did. I don't expect you to. Probably most of us would choke on that. Abundant? Ooh, I'm getting there. I'm getting it. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. I'll have my days. All of those things. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. And I don't think he's just talking about heaven. I think he's talking about now through eternity. And we're safe and secure. And we can enjoy the ride. Are you enjoying the ride? If, if you're not, this is an opportunity to make a change. This is the opportunity to get out of the driver's seat and move to a better place in the car, if you would. Uh, in just a minute, we're, going to offer, we're offering an invitation for you to come down forward or go back to the foyer where you've got people in both places to be love to pray with you. Uh, if you're considering baptism, we'd love to talk to you about that and make that happen as quickly as possible, whatever the situation it is. Um, get out of the driver's seat. I learned that this week. Hopefully I've learned that in life a long time ago. And hopefully you'll learn that too, that children don't drive. So quit trying. Think about that while we stand and while we sing.